0: Welcome to another episode of the Car Exchange Podcast. I'm your host, Victor Troya, And I'm today's co-host, Justin Pittner. We got the GM guru back in effect. Glad to be back, Vic. Yeah, man, I'm glad to have you here. So uh, this is episode five already. That's crazy, man. Episode five, you remember not too long ago, we were selling the Montero? <laughs> episode one. Yeah, we weren't even in this conference room. We were like designated in the little corner over there.
1: Yeah, no, yeah, no, I remember that.
0: Yeah, that Montero is now in New Hampshire.
1: Any uh, any words from the owner since uh, he purchased it?
0: Well, it actually was for his daughter, so his daughter oh, yeah. bought it. Um, she texted me, like, just telling me how excited she was. But um, as far as like anything since it got there, no, nothing, zero.
1: Oh, that's pretty cool, though. It's cool to hear that, it's like, she, like somebody's daughter was excited about it. Like, not too yeah. often you hear about. <laughs> Oh, a yeah, yeah. younger girl excited about a montero, <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: I don't know how old she was, but um he uh he was probably in his sixties, so I oh, don't know, but so either she way, been like a
1: grown adult <laughs> right, right,
0: I mean, no news is good news with these uh transactions because the, my last experience um wasn't the best because I had a pretty much a customer that had a little buyer's remorse the alpha, right, yeah, with the alpha, so um no news is good news, hey, they're happy, I'm sure the car was great, you know it was um a clean example for a car that was almost 30 years old. So I'm sure they're going to make the most use of it up in New Hampshire when it's snowing, probably like right around now. So does it make you just
1: like a little bit sad knowing that it's going to get like salted out and probably going to be rusted in the next 15 years?
0: Yeah, a little bit, a little bit because it was so clean. It was uh, San Diego, then I think Florida. He, it was registered in Hawaii because uh, he was military. But I don't know if he actually took it there, but Either way, I mean. Well, even if you did, Hawaii doesn't like
1: it, It's weird because cars like rust in Hawaii, but not like the same as like a rust state. It's like Hawaii is like surface rust because it's yeah. just a very wet climate. But yeah,
0: it's not salt from the roads, it's salt yeah. from the ocean. So, but either way, man, I'm, I'm just glad that uh, it's in good hands. The guy that bought it, you know, on behalf of his daughter seemed like a car enthusiast. He had multiple cars. So, that's all you can ask for. So today's episode is jam packed. Okay, it was an interesting morning. We'll get into that in a little bit later. Uh, <laughs> but the the title of today's episode is the Sweet Spot Generation. All right. So I wrote an article called The Sweet Spot Generation, pretty much talking about the mid '90s to the early 2000s. Let's just say, for the sake of argument. 95 to 2005 right nice round 10 years that's
1: a safe bet yeah i'm not gonna lie i have i I, when i was i didn't write anything down and i'm like mildly regretting it right now because like when i was thinking of this generation of cars like i i have like a huge list of cars like it's crazy to realize like how many cars came out in that generation that were like like uh monumental to like to enthusiast yeah. cars, at least to me.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm interested to see your take on it because I'm a little biased being a millennial. You know, I grew up in that era. I mean, I was in, what, middle school to, well, even grade school, middle school and high school. That 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 era pretty much touched all three, um, I guess, parts of my life or key moments in my life. So uh, for you, you were probably just born, <laughs> right? Like, you were barely in grade school.
1: I was, I was young, out of grade but, school. like, like i said my car obsession started when i was about three years old and that's like not even no cap like (laughs) it started super early for me it was just hot wheels and by the time i was five i'm naving every car on the road so i i remember those cars better than you'd like imagine and a lot of them are key to kind of my car enthusiasm
0: okay all right so what we're going to talk about is the importance of that generation but first things first tell everyone about this morning what happened this morning because we're missing a guest we're supposed to have two mics if you guys saw the uh post on instagram i had two mics set up so we were supposed to have two guests today or two co-hosts and uh justin uh had to go play um tow truck driver for for a few minutes there right
1: yeah so our buddy mike was going to join us today m3 mike or i think that's what tuner mike evo mike (laughs) Broken car, Mike. Um, Side of the road, Mike. <laughs> Mike Zero. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, Michael Zaro. He's not going to be stuck. Was supposed to
0: co-host today. So what happened?
1: Um, so this morning, I'm you know I'm actually running late. Of course, you know typical me. I, I'm always kind of at least five minutes late to places. This is kind of higher role. Um, and the group chat between me and Mike starts blowing up and. What's actually funny is when I got there to him, he kind of told me the truth. What happened was when that he his car threw like a, a, a code on his dash that said something like powertrain malfunction, like can drive. Um, it was kind of a trip. Actually, let me pull up the picture to make sure I'm
0: saying that correctly. So yeah, it said flamed. you can con- continue driving, right? Like so it was saying you could continue to drive. It didn't say like pull over immediately.
1: Yeah, it said driving possible. That's, but, that's yeah. the verbiage. It's
0: possible, but you got a plume of smoke coming out of your hood. Well, and you
1: know what I just realized, too? Michael's like, I was only doing 65, but in the picture he sent us, he's at 85. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. But anyhow,
1: so yeah. he gets that, and he actually sent it to us jokingly. Like, his car actually wasn't doing anything weird at that point. He's like, oh, yeah. Oh, so it got worse? Yeah, no. So he sent that picture like, haha! look, my M3's having a problem because, oh, like, we kind of okay. flamed it. He wasn't on, on the for, side of the road yet. No, oh, no, in the picture, he's he already s- on the
0: side of the road when he sent that.
1: No, if you look at the picture, he's doing 85. OK, it, OK,
0: I didn't even catch that. So the speedometer shows 85. He's saying he's going 65.
1: Yeah, which is eight, that's, 85 is Michael Zaro 65, to be fair.
0: But here's the thing. He's telling me that the car is fine when he's ripping it. Right. But when he's going the speed limit, it's it's giving him problems all the time.
1: Uh, modified car things. Yeah, um, I told him, I
0: was like, it's a German car. It's built for the Autobahn, not the 163.
1: I mean, he kind of turns the 163 into an Autobahn, I right. assume, but that's all right. Anyways, a um, Coronado. so he sent that as a joke. And then he said, as soon as he's on the 163, which those of you not familiar with San Diego, the 163 ends up turning into a pretty, pretty steep grade for a little bit. And he said, the moment he started going up the, the, the hill part of the grade, yeah. His car started like misfiring, super bad smoke started plummeting everywhere. Like he just said, like all started just like completely acting up. And then he ended up having to pull over there on the side of the road. So I went to pick him up and then I, you know, I actually got there like three minutes before the tow truck got there. So I was like, all right, cool. Like perfect timing. Like we'll be here on like pretty much on time for the podcast, um, to like have plenty of time. We'll have a good day. You know, he'll get his car towed, whatever. He's kind of used to it. It's a modified M3. And then as, I'm, as the tow truck driver gets there, he kind of, like, already gets out kind of, like, not looking stoked. Like, not <laughs> doesn't, doesn't seem very confident about the situation. He's like, oh, boy, another kid on the side
0: of the road with a BMW.
1: Well, and the problem was Michael's car I I'm from, it has coilovers on it, so it's lower than stock. And he has, like, a splitter or lip, whatever you want to yeah. call it, on the front end. So his car is pretty low. It's not, like, the lowest I've seen, but it's pretty low. So what did he say? Just he couldn't tow it. He he's like, No,
0: I, I can't like tow it. Policy or he just didn't want to.
1: So that was what was weird. So like I think it was a combination of didn't want to. Actually I kinda think it was purely didn't want to. I think maybe it was extra work, possibly, because one thing he said that like just really didn't ring Yeah honest to me was he said our insurance doesn't cover it. What? I don't I don't really know what that means. Like what it doesn't cover if you guys break something eating yeah. on the truck, like like, he didn't specify. He kind of just said our insurance doesn't cover okay. it, which I'm not a tow truck operator. I don't know how their insurances work or what happens. I'd assume the car's covered. If something does get damaged, that's, like, what the point of insurance is. But maybe they just don't want to take the risk of running something on their insurance policy. Yeah. I don't know. But uh, so he wouldn't
0: tow it. So then he leaves. And yeah, he just now leaves. Mike's still on the side of the road right now waiting as, for tow truck number two.
1: As far as I know. I mean, what was funny <laughs> is when we called AAA again, yeah. we
0: waiting
1: for tow truck number two. Like, we were on the phone with the lady, and all of a sudden, we just like, boop, boop, boop. Oh, the phone call's gone. That's the worst. And we had service, so I, I don't know if Poor they Mike, just, like, man. saw that's that. A,
0: that's a stressful situation as it is. And then to be dealing with, like, the hassle of a tow truck driver, too, on top of it. Yeah. Like, come on, man. That sucks. And suddenly, Poor it's Mike. just
1: modified car things. Like, anytime yeah. you, like, lower cars, like, it's just one of those things where it's, like. I
0: mean, look. I told them. I said, you're going to learn the hard way with these tuners. He's already learning with the Evo, right? That that car, even with that Iron Block 4G 63. Whatever, like, it's, it's once you modify a car, and I know people are going to hate me for this because there's a lot of tuners that are car enthusiasts, but once you modify a car beyond factory limits, it's not going to hold up the same. It's not going to be as dependable. So, like, for example, he thinks it's injectors, right? That's yeah, because
1: his, his whole thing was he was telling me, like, he runs an E85 tune normally, but last night he switched to 91, which apparently does something to the injectors oh, okay. like run them, so maybe like it's the switching fuel. right and so all he thinks is that the injector got stuck open and his bmw but he was like yeah that's because you ran 91 so yeah he thinks it's an injector obviously you know we don't know until but he, it's can't, fixed, he can't but run
0: e85 all the time though
1: i don't know why not if it's tuned for it i mean
0: but like here's the thing what i'm trying to say is when you put injectors that are aftermarket, market or you put um anything you know like i know he put turbos or he hasn't put them on yet but no my point is is the factory specs have been tested over and over again to hold right where these aftermarket components haven't been tested as much, right? Yeah. They provide better, like, let's say they provide better boost or they provide better overall performance, but they're not going to hold up the same way. So I know, yes I know that's a. would say
1: yes and no, I, I'm, I'm, you, know, polarizing where I can, argument, well, you know, where I kind of sit on this. I'm, I'm, I'm in between uh, you and Mike. I, I, I've i seen times where you can modify a vehicle and, you know, every time you modify it from stock, you are altering something. There's always going to be a pro and a and con. Let,
0: let me add, though, like so suspension lifts, things like that. I'm not so much against. Right. There's better suspension than a factory like gas strut um, or gas shock. Right. So we'll,
1: we'll even pass that. Like, you know, I mean there's several Ford dealers out here that are adding superchargers to truck factory and warranty them as factory. Yeah. But they're like,
0: tested like that TRD supercharger, like that comes on, let's say the yeah. old third gen Forerunners. like those have been tested. Right.
1: And that's what I was going to kind of go over. I feel like there is aftermarket out there that's tested, tried and true. And if you do, you know, conservative tunes and you're, you're not trying to absolutely break the limits of whatever parts you added on or, whatever internals you have or have it modified in your motor, like you're going to deal with potential more potential issues. Um, but I think there's ways to safely and smartly modify a car to where you're not going to like have issues. That being said, I'm not the person that really does modifications of powertrain stuff. Um, I'll get like a powertrain tune and like a trans tune just to kind of clean up some of the factory tuning. Uh, like on my truck, I'm getting the four owner mode deactivated because it, Just is kind of an annoyance. It can kind of make my truck clunky when you have four cylinder mode going on and off and shit when it's shifting because the trucks trying to vary between the three. And when you get that turned off and you get a trans tune, these trucks run better than ever and they'll get better feel economy.
0: But here's my problem with tuners. I mean, when you look at cars from the 90s, you look at cars even from the early 2000s, right? There's always attrition, right? Meaning little by little, these cars are going to just end up in junkyards, right? People crash them. People just, you know, take them to their limits right? But then there's the tuners, right? There's those cars, like, for example, like my 300ZX. You take a JDM classic car, you never see them unmodified, right? So you take that car and you look at the numbers and you're like, wait a second, they didn't make that many to begin with. Now, there's barely any left that are unmodified because the ones that are clapped out are because they were modified. If you look at them, they were lowered, they had different rims, they had, you know, whatever new components under the hood that you could think of. And like, you don't see them anymore. So my point is, is like the cars that haven't been in the tuner community, you still see them on the roads, which we'll get into later about like some of the cars that are from that sweet spot generation because no one really modified them. But if those cars were modified, doesn't matter how dependable they were, they they wouldn't exist as much today as um, like for example, I'll talk about the third gen forerunner, right? Like that car, you see them everywhere, but no one was modifying them. Yeah, there was those there's the the rare factory supercharger you've seen um, Toyota put in it, right? That I don't think that. Hurt reliability as much, but like I said, it's because it was tested. It wasn't something that was added, you know, later on by an aftermarket company.
1: I kind of get what you're saying. That being said, though, forerunners—I've seen more than enough forerunners absolutely like hacked up with saws, getting rid of fenders, lifted with forties on or thirty-seven. Yeah, it's a different modification.
0: It's more like meant for off-roading, right? That's why they put the lift, the tires, they 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 change the wheels out to, you know, um, a comp you know, to allow a bigger tire, right? So. I don't think those modifications hurt the, the, well, they add the a lot car s- as much, right?
1: Yes and no. I mean, because yeah, the thing with tuning is you can mix up or mess up tuning. Like if you don't have a good tune, like if you don't have somebody that's super familiar with tuning. Uh, oh, I mean, I'm not sure on the older cars, but I know on newer cars, there's a lot of powertrain tuning just to the computer. You know, if you don't get your values just right, or like at least on a safe Tune, like, that's when you start blowing stuff up pretty fast. But that being said, like, lifting, putting giant tires and stuff, that does put a lot of stress on the drive train, especially, like, the transmission. Yeah, no, you're um, right. But I feel like people in that community are kind of, like, especially, like, off-roaders that are using forerunners for, like, crawling and stuff, they're used to just shit breaking anyway. So yeah. they're like, ah, well, cool. I'll just throw a new transit. I'll throw new axles on it. Yeah. I, if motor blows up, I'll go find another one in a junkyard.
0: And all these kids are tuning these cars with their check... All their dashboards have the check engine light illuminated. And it's just normal for them.
1: I could never... Ever drive a car with the <laughs> check engine light just illuminated. It know. would drive me nuts. Like I couldn't do that. I know, I know. Like I whenever I get you. in a friend's car, because I have a few friends that do that stuff, like my buddy had a C eight Corvette that he got this exhaust that took a couple of the factory cats out. And so his engine light was just like always on. And he changed his own oil too like and he changed it pretty good like he'd maintain this car but he never reset the oil light so every time you'd get in this like almost new c8 corvette that sounds good and like looks good it would have like a check engine light it'd have like a suspension light no, it would no. have uh it would have a oil change light and i'm like dude how can you get in this car in and see that and just be like oh eh, whatever like yeah i i'd, I'd go yeah,
0: nuts I, I agree with you on that All right, let's move on to something exciting. We got some exciting news, right? So Justin Pittner, you know the GM guru, is in the process, hasn't purchased yet, but in the process of buying another General Motors product. Tell us about it.
1: All right, so you know I'm looking, I'm trying to get this 1991 Buick Park Avenue Ultra. Uh, It's actually a trade-in that we got at work the other day, and it came in uh, has only about 104k miles. Garage capped, like just beautiful shape. There's there's a few imperfections that I'm not scared to fix. I'll go find there's like a, cu- a couple trump chrome pieces that are like a little iffy. I need some paintwork in a couple areas, not because it's like fading, but because there's scratching. So I I may or may not perfect it. I don't know. It depends on how much I like Bro, it.
0: That car is for that age. It's mint. It's 33 years old. For 33 years old, it's beautiful. Like the I, paint is great. The chrome finish is great. Like it's not perfect because it's not rolling off the deal a lot, but it's 33 years old.
1: Well, and I feel like the most important part is that the interior is cherry, like plush. The seats have none of the typical California cracking. Like they're just soft, so they have none of the stiffness, you know, leather in California, like especially for car.
0: Why did they go away from seats like that? Well, there's a couple reasons. Let me just say what I want to. Ta- I want I want the audience to like vision what I'm talking about. It is a plush like pillow top above the comfy, soft seat. So not only do you get the normal seat, you get this like plush material that's like uh, quilted or um, what do they call it when it's like the, the is it quilted or like diamond?
1: I, I know what you're talking about. Tufted. Tufted? <laughs> is that yeah, the
0: word? Yeah, maybe. And it's just so, so it's like you're sitting on a cloud. And like, I know even without that pillow top GM, old GM cars from the sweet spot generation were always soft. And then all of yeah. a sudden they just went hard on us.
1: Well, and there's a few reasons for that. I, I'm actually going to kind of have a controversial opinion as well on this podcast today, apparently. A, I think car reviewers have killed cars like that. Because I, I don't know if you've like ever, like I'm assuming you've read Motor Trend. You read Car and Driver. You read Automobile Magazine. You read, you know, you will watch videos on YouTube now of car reviewers. And like, I sort every single car, doesn't matter if it's a Chevy Equinox. They don't, they don't care. Oh, how does it perform? Like, performance-wise. I'm like, dude, it's a a four-cylinder SUV. (laughs) Like, everything is so focused on performance. And it's like, I don't know. I just feel like, don't me wrong. I understand the enthusiasm of driving a performance car. Like, there's something special about a good performance car and a car that performs well. But, like, not everything has to perform well. Like, some things can just be comfortable and
0: smooth. And that's it. (laughs) And that's what you buy it for. Yeah. Exactly. Like, that MotorWeek review, right? You sent me from 1990. Yeah. And he's like... Buick hasn't done well with the younger demographic. It's like they don't have to. Like, they no longer have the Regal or the uh, what was it? The, the GNX. The GNX
1: and the, the Riata.
0: The Riata, yeah. The Riata, I think, was the last one. Right in the by early '90s, they still had. But I mean, they were making sports cars, and then he hits us with this, you know, Ultra Park Avenue, and it was like. Top of the line luxury, just cruiser.
1: Well, that's the one thing I'll say about it is, you know, like nowadays we look back on those '90s Buicks and maybe like early 2000s Buicks because for the while they built like the same thing; they didn't really change much. Yeah, and th- like we look at them as kind of like, I mean, they're all like two thousand dollar cars because like nobody wants them because they have a absolutely no sex appeal. Like you're not nobody's gonna look at you in your Buick and be like damn yeah besides like specific people Look, that for some reason like those
0: they're built for a demographic i mean since the early 90s they're, they've been built for a demographic that is older over the age of 65
1: yeah 100 but it's like that makes such a good car for a few reasons at least for like a daily driver a again comfort i'll get into the seats in a little bit because there's big pros and big cons to seats like that but the pros are and t- immediately when you get in, they're ultra comfortable for short distances and cruising around incredibly comfortable seats that have very little impact on your body. Um, and then B, old, I don't know if you've ever noticed about old people cars. They always have power. They always have more than enough passing power. They're typically reliable besides like the Cadillacs with the North Star. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you even look at like Crown Vicks, uh, you know, town cars, the Buicks, they're all just large comfortable reliable cars yeah
0: well that panther platform is iconic now oh yeah but none of them hold their value they're all dirt cheap because the people that buy them are people like i said senior citizens that only buy new and the resale value gets you know hit hard once they go pre-owned
1: well not even not even only that but again like for a younger demographic there's not much attracting people to them like they're not performance oriented they don't you know, like I said, I have no sex appeal. There's like nothing. Like nobody's gonna look at that and be like, "Oh, that's a cool car." It's like, "Oh, dude, my grandpa had one of those." Like
0: exactly. That's and- the only thing, right, that might attract them to it. But let me tell you, the build quality. Like when you open up that door and close it, that thing, like it slams shut. Like like it, it's just it just satisfaction. Like a, a satisfaction, click. like clicking sound. Like it just they don't make them like that anymore. I do it with my '89 uh, Alfa Romeo Spider. Like. That door sound, like when you close it, like you just, I could hear that sound all day.
1: Well, you know, that's funny. Bring up the door sound. That's actually something I've noticed on modern cars is I remember, I remember reading about stuff like when I was reading reviews and everybody in reviews would talk about like, oh, the door when it shuts sounds so solid. I feel like that specific trait in cars is going away. Like oh, yeah. I feel like they're mo- almost all companies are not focusing on that like specific piece anymore, which is kind of weird because like for a while that was kind of like a sign of, Oh, this is a quality car. Listen to how solid that door shuts. Yeah. I don't know if you've got, I mean, I've gotten quite a few modern cars and like, especially like one kind of specific ones, like a modern Mercedes. When you shut the door, it really sounds not satisfying. Like it yeah. does not have any sort of satisfying feel sound. It actually kind of sounds cheap. Yeah, I mean, funny. it's the
0: they're getting lighter, you know, the the build quality is just getting lighter. Um, obviously, alum, aluminum is a major player in, uh, you know, in the way they construct these cars. Um, but Cybertruck, steel, they don't even have, I heard they don't have side impact, uh, like the the door beams. They don't even have, they don't need them because of the the strength of the steel or oh, the door car. <laughs> That's crazy. Man, I,
1: I, 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 I'm not going to lie. I'm like... Probably the biggest anti-Cybertruck person. That all
0: right. Let's save that for another episode. All right. Let's move on. I want to talk about a movie I watched last Damn, night. Just cut off. Because <laughs> Cybertruck is polarizing. We could be here all day. Uh, we talked about it a little on the last episode. That was, I was um, I heard. That was Radio Ray's uh, favorite car for the year or most look forward to car of the year. So I watched that movie that I talked to you about, Road to Glory, Audi oh, vs. Yeah. Lancia. How was it? Yeah. So it's actually available on Prime. It's okay. like $7 to rent. So I watched it last night. Me and my girlfriend were like, all right, I pick a movie. You pick a movie. So I picked that one. So we watched it. Um, It's not the best overall movie, like quality wise. Um, It is cool because they actually took Italian actors and they're talking Italian in the movie. And there's even like German actors, too, that are talking German. So they kept it authentic in that sense. Right. Because remember, I was telling you, I hate how like uh, Adam Driver has to put on that accent. Right. The Italian accent, even though like he's really talking in Italian. He should be talking in Italian. Um, anyway, so I loved it in a sense that you never see like movies or stories like this being highlighted, you know, in Hollywood, right? So they took, uh, I think Rai Cinema, which is an Italian, um, TV company, mm-hmm. I guess merged with another, um, you know, uh, movie production and, uh, they really like, like delve into that story. Right. So the pretty much in a nutshell, I'm not going to ruin it for you cause I want you to watch it, but the. The lead guy for Lancia, his name was Cesare Fiorio, um, was very creative, right, in his thinking. So, like, um, this is actually true. He, because he didn't have two-wheel drive, right, and Audi had the Quattro. So the 037, which we talked about, right, the 037, he named it that because that was the track record where they practiced, um, I guess in Turin, in Italy, in Torino, mm. and that was the new record. So because that was the new record time, he called it the 037. Okay. So um, anyway, so he uh, puts this um, team together, right? With the, he gets a driver, and the the way he like thought about like how could we beat Audi? So even though we don't have four wheel drive and we're going to an area where it snows. Maybe I can have them, like, pour salt on the streets before the, the race because, you know, the, the ice will melt. And then my two-wheel drive car will have just as much traction as their four-wheel drive car. Um, so he does that, right, and then ends up winning the race. And this is at Monte Carlo. So um, another thing was he had, remember, hom- homologation. You have to create a certain amount of cars for Group B to qualify in order to participate in the race. So he creates, uh, they will have to have 200 road-going cars, right, in production. So he creates, well, they only produce like 103, I think at the time. So the French like inspectors come and they're like, yeah, well, where are the other 97 cars? And he's like, oh, um, well, you know what? Actually, they're at another parking lot because we don't have enough spaces here. So let's go to the other parking lot. I'll take you there. Um, and then that way you can see the other 97 cars. So he ends up taking it, with this traffic, right? And then he's like, hey, since there's traffic, why don't we go grab a bite to eat? That way, you know, we can kind of pass some time. We'll eat. I know you guys are hungry. And then by the time we are done eating, the traffic will be gone and we can get to the parking lot. So as he's doing that, like all these tow trucks are coming with like all the transporters are bringing all the, the production cars over to the, another lot.
1: No way. Yeah.
0: So so like this story, because at the end of the movie, they kind of said a lot of stuff was dramatized. But this story I've heard over and over again. So I'm pretty sure it's accurate. And I could see Lancia doing this. Italians are like infamous for cutting corners and you know doing these kind of loopholes are are,
1: uh, specialty. (laughs) Yeah, it's in our
0: blood, right? So um, yeah, so he takes him over to the lot. He's like, "All right, what do you think?" I mean, they're not looking at the VIN numbers. They're just counting, literally with like a one of those counter things. And uh, like, all right, here's the other 97. You're you're good. You got your 200 production cars. And in the movie, they showed um, Lancia Beta Scorpions. So it's I don't think it was the because you know how we talked about the O37 Stradale, yeah. like that was the homologation car, not the Scorpion. So I'm not sure they probably didn't have enough. Well, they never built. I don't. Well, actually, no, they did build over 200 Strad- Stradales. Um, but anyway, the movie shows Scorpions instead of uh, or Monte Carlos, right? That's what they were called in Europe, but they couldn't call it a Monte Carlo here because, of course, we had the General Motors Monte Carlo, the Chevy that Ray thinks is going to go up in value. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, that's kind of the, the one thing I wanted to talk about. I just thought it was funny that they did that. And he just had to always think of these creative ways, um, like studded tires. He made him think that they needed studded tires for the race, but then they changed their tires to like the, the, the normal street tires. Because I knew the snow was going to be gone. Exactly. Wild. Yeah, definitely watch it. It's worth it. You know, for any car enthusiast, it's definitely, it's not the most well acted or, you know, well-produced movie, but it's definitely worth it.
1: But you think the storyline is like what kind of brings that movie to like a, like a watchable,
0: yeah. I mean, the creative thinking that the, the, the Cesare, Ces- Cesare Fiorio had, you know, to, to like he was pretty much the moral of the story was he'll do anything to win, right? But then kind of, you know, they talk about how winning isn't everything, you know, in life. So, um, obviously, there was a lot of accidents, a lot of um, people died in uh, rally car racing, and that's why I think they ended um, that group B uh, race like in the late 80s. Um, but that was 83. It was the last two-wheel drive car to ever win a World Rally Championship. That's so crazy. Yeah. So anyway, definitely a movie you want to watch. So um, all right, let's get into the meat and potatoes of this podcast. So sweet spot generation, okay? So let me talk about a few things that um, I highlighted in the article, all right? So I mentioned some safety things, okay? So oh, I think okay. I think 95 to 05, um, obviously during that time, I didn't, had. I didn't even
1: think about that kind of side of things. So I'm glad Safety. you did. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So a few things. Okay. You start getting airbags, you know, in the passenger side, maybe some side airbags, right? You start getting ABS, uh, not standard, but it's very common. ABS brakes. Yeah. Um, I know your Buick had it in 90, 91, right? Yeah. Wild. Which ABS. was uh, which was a cool little. And traction option. control. Yeah. Traction control starting to become standard. The OBD2, um, started to become standard, I think after 90, in 96. Okay. So if your car is '96 or, or on, like you had OBD2 um, for uh, onboard diagnostics, so uh, which is a gift and a curse.
1: Which are you able to like for real quick? Are you able to like kind of run down what made OBD2 so much better? Because like I understand what it does, but I've actually never known what makes it better. I I, I just have understood like it can give you more information. It yeah. has more sensors, so you're able to kind of like tell more about the car. It's like yeah, less exactly. diagnostic.
0: It, you you actually can plug in to your computer. Um, a device that'll tell you it'll, the computer will tell you what's going on with your car, right? In OBD one, you couldn't do that. You had to like um, trick the system or short the uh, whatever computer to start flashing lights, and then you had to read Morse code, right? Like I think I mentioned in uh, was it episode one or two with my YJ, I had to turn the key three times, and then the check engine light would blink in like this Morse code, and that'll tell you what code you're, you you have if mm. you if you do have any codes. Where OBD two is gonna tell you what's wrong with your car. Right now, it sucks for like monitors and things like that when you have to smog and your battery dies and now you have to re um, clear monitors for that. But as far as like, you know, overall, like you want OBD, 2 because you want to be able to diagnose what problems your car has rather than just trial and error, you know, okay,
1: or gotcha. process
0: of elimination, which is what a lot of mechanics did back in the day. Right. All right. Well, if this isn't working, then it must be, you know, plan B or, or plan C. So that was one thing that came in uh, standard, I believe, in the mid 90s. Um, Another thing is fuel injection. I mean, prior to the '90s, most cars were still carbureted, right? You really went into the full fuel injection era, um, like across the board, all automakers, like in the in the in the '90s, right? And that that's huge because back then, I don't know, have you ever worked with a carbureted car? No.
1: Yeah, my my, mm, it never gave me issues, so I can't. God, I can't say with a hundred percent certainty, but I'm pretty sure my 1985 Dodge Ram 50 was carbureted. Yeah, because I'd have to pump the gas pedal and stuff to get yeah. it to like start properly. Yeah, so I, I mean, assuming. I never
0: owned one myself, but they're a lot less dependable. Let's say that than fuel injection, right? When you start your car, there's a process involved. Sometimes you know you have to like spray cleaner into it, and um, you know it's a lot different than electronic fuel injection. Well,
1: and also that was where the whole warming up your car trope even came around. Mm-hmm. Is because you'd have to warm it up so the gas because the guy, everything would have to warm up so gas would flow smoothly through the carburetor yeah. so your Cars well, you had like a choke chunking. right? You mm-hmm. had a
0: cold start injector which, you know, um, would spray even more fuel into the in the like while the car was cold. Um, so if it was cold and that cold start injector isn't working, which is the problem ha- I'm having right now, in my Alpha, um, it'll uh, it won't start. Not that my Alpha is carbureted, but. You know, they still had cold start injectors kind of with the beginning stages of mechanical fuel injection and then electronic fuel injection. Uh, But either way, these were all things that started in the 90s that we still have today that they've never really had to upgrade, right? Like ABS, stability control. I mean, yeah, we got more airbags. um, Brakes have gotten better. um, But overall, like, these are things that are still standard today that, like, we haven't really changed.
1: Yeah, there isn't, like, a new system that replaced ABS. They've just gotten better with ABS tuning.
0: Correct. Um, And then next thing is powertrains. So I talked about um, some engines, right? I mentioned a few engines. One of them, um, I talked about the 4.0 uh, in the, a- the AMC 4.0 in Jeeps because, you know, everyone knows that straight six is iconic. Uh, but that engine kind of started before the 90s. Um, mm-hmm. it, it eventually became, it was like a 4.2, it became a 4.0. Then it went high output um, fuel injection in the early 90s. Um, but it pretty much was perfected in this sweet spot generation. I want to say, you know, bio 06, by the time it got to my LJ, which was the last year, that 4.0 was just bulletproof, you know? So I mentioned that one. But some other, like, like notable engines, like, that were created during this time, the 1UZ and the LS400, right? I mean, million miles that car can get. Um, the LS, right? So you know about it. I mean, why don't you actually, uh, you know, spread knowledge on the LS? That, that came, I think, in 98, late 90s. Uh, well, the C5 was the first one to have the LS1. But then you had the LSQ and the and the Escalade, right? They kind of... Well, and all the LT
1: motors and the trucks that were all, you know, derivatives of the LS. Mm-hmm. Um, no, the LS was a fantastic platform. Uh, I feel like Coyote motor came out... Uh, oh, oh, man, 5.0. When did the 5.0 come out? The Coyote V8? Yeah. That was later than mid-2000s, huh? You're talking about, like... Like the Ford...
0: Yeah, I, I know. I know Ford's V8, but um, I didn't. I didn't look to see when that was the when the first year of that was. Um, I was just looking more, mostly at like sixes and fours, and then obviously the one UZ was an eight. Mm-hmm. But um, no, I'm not sure.
1: Okay. Well, I don't even know why I brought that one up. I didn't even have information on it. Let's let's go. Um, but actually, I actually had a few motors I wanted to bring up when it came to this because that was actually the first thing I thought about was yeah. actually in, in as far as diesel trucks went that was when the turbo diesel became such a mainstay and mm-hmm. pickup heavy-duty pickup trucks yeah. out went the big blocks and came these turbo diesels yeah like so, power stroke you know, ford's power stroke was the late 90s duramax was late late 90s early 2000s mm-hmm. cummins was earlier but it started becoming like a lot more prevalent in the late 90s with the 12 valve and then the 24 valve cummins yeah. like and this was when all of a sudden like, these full-size trucks, this is kind of around the time, too, where trucks have made a huge shift in the 90s to 2000s. Yeah. Um, and then obviously the SUV was then born because of that, because basically trucks got to a point where they weren't just workhorses. They're now daily driver workhorses. They're now family vehicles. And then they took that and then put it into SUVs, such as the Escalade, the Expedition, the Excursion. Mm-hmm. Cause now they're basically just taking these trucks cause they're nice enough to be driven and they're comfortable enough and have enough creature comforts where you can just trans translate that into an SUV. And now you have, you know, the SUV boom and then the Explorer and stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, and then when it comes to cars, yeah, the powertrains, I feel just got, they really perfected simple mechanics overall and mm-hmm. efficiency. And, and not only that, but like, just working on cars from the 2000s now they're not all perfect they all you know some cars definitely have they're like oh well if you had to get to that part that's a huge pain in the butt some some stuff still motor out but i feel like the level of like motor out stuff or like take apart a bunch of stuff to get to one part stuff was like way less prevalent in the 2000s era of cars you could work you could learn how to work on them yourself the parts were still cheap And you got the benefit of efficiency wasn't that much worse than cars now and i personally feel like reliability was better
0: yeah it was an era of mechanically simplistic motors right you didn't have that much going on but they were still efficient right they weren't like um like in the malaise era they needed to figure out how to be efficient right with all these new strang on um you know fuel efficiency because of the whole like embargo or the um uh, the fuel strike or whatever there was back then in the seventies. So I feel like they needed decades to catch up, right. To figure out, okay, how do we get the most out of this engine, but still be efficient. Yeah. Right. Um, so yeah, so the LS motor, um, iconic, right. It's the most swapped motor, safe to say ever most swapped motor ever. Yeah. Um, then I mentioned already the, the forerunner, right. But that same engine, the 3.4 was also in a Tacoma. Mm-hmm how many of those cars do you still see on these roads today tons first gen tacomas third gen four runners right from 90 that car was the third gen 4Runner, 96 to 02. the first gen tacoma same era uh, about it actually went up to 04 right um the tacoma did yeah but either way had the 2.7 in it that four cylinder is is just as good i mean people love that four cylinder because it's also uh reliable and it's a time and chain not a belt um, the 3.4, like I mentioned, the V6, they've had that also with the factory uh, supercharger. Um, here's another one, the pinnacle. I feel like this was the pinnacle of BMW automotive construction, right? You had the M52 or S52 engine, right, which was in the M3, um, the E36 M3, um, but that straight six, like it was, like iconic back then, right? In the E39. You look at the the M5, right? I know that was a V8, but that car, like, still to this day, people lust after. It's like you still see those those E39, not not just the M3, like just regular E39s, all over the streets. Like, I think that car is gonna outlast its the car that came after it.
1: I agree. And one thing I'll also bring up, I, I actually just thought about this when we were just we were talking. I was just thinking about all the differences in construction of cars, new versus old one thing that i really like about 2000s cars uh especially like luxury cars and nicer cars is because there was less tech to focus on because i feel like that's all modern cars like personally all most modern cars i feel like feel cheap like they have a lot of cheap buttons like nothing feels like a thought yeah. behind it it just does a purpose which fine I don't, that's not the worst thing because they're all focused on infotainment but older cars had this level of Focus on everything. Yeah. Focus on how the door opened and closed. Focus on how the buttons felt. Focus on the weight of the volume knob or the weight of these buttons. Because mm-hmm. especially when it comes to like luxury cars, like they focus on all these little things that I actually personally think is actual luxury. Actual luxury is like the feel and like the the weightedness and Correct. the thought process behind these cars. I could care less about all this infotainment stuff. Like, Bluetooth, I'll give that. Like, I love Bluetooth, that's a great, I think that was a major advancement in cars as far as just being able to play music from your phone, do phone calls wirelessly. Like, that's a pretty cool piece of tech, but like, I kinda feel like personally past Bluetooth, the Apple CarPlay is cool, but, it's relatively unnecessary if you have Bluetooth. Your phone can talk to you. I know I'm going to sound old as heck right now, but it's like,
0: <laughs> yeah, people are going to be like, yeah. What about blind spot monitor, lane departure warning, rear view camera? I think it's making you driving, can live with all that. You
1: know, I mean, somebody can shout out something something that proves me wrong, but I feel like it's making driving worse. How often are you almost running yeah. into somebody or somebody's almost running into you because they're like on their phones crossing lanes because they trust all these systems? But well, it's like these systems aren't bulletproof. Yeah, they you're, definitely are right.
0: Technology is a gift and a curse you know? So I'm with you on that. Um, but yeah, you're right. Back then cars were constructed for longevity, right? I talk about this in the, in the article, like cars today are not constructed for longevity. They're kind of constructed kind of like your smartphones are right. They're built to just last a few years, right? So that way in three, four years, you're ready for another one, right? Your smartphone after two, three years, your battery starts degrading. Your processors aren't as fast. You're like, damn, I need a new phone, right? Otherwise you'd stick to that same phone. If, if, yeah, maybe the camera got better or, you know, it gets a little faster. But you're fine with your phone, right, as is. But no, like Americans, at least for us, I know how consumers are. We want the latest and greatest, yeah. right? So we're going to go out and get that new iPhone. And just like with your car, you're going to go out and get that new vehicle because it has a brand new infotainment system or a new feature that your current car doesn't have.
1: Well, not only that, but your current car is probably having weird issues because… tech doesn't age very well. And these cars are very heavily tech, especially like the more modern gets, it's kind of getting to a point where I feel like it's just like, these cars aren't going to last. Like you're not going to see these cars on the road in 20 years. They have digital speedometers, digital screens. They have a lot of them, well, more luxury cars, but have digital screens for the HVAC. Like there's, it's just screens with no buttons. So like when that stuff starts failing, you're losing major, major purposes of your cars
0: uh, options. Well, think of the ECU module, right? I mean, how many sensors feed into an ECU module compared to how many fed into it, you know, back in the early 90s? So all those sensors, right, they all go somewhere, right? And if one fails, now you're on the side of your road like Mike Zaro telling you to go see your dealer. You know what I mean? Like, it's not telling you how to fix it in your owner's manual, right? It's telling you, see your dealer because they don't want you to fix it.
1: Well, imagine when they start discontinuing these parts for these cars. There's not going to be aftermarket companies well, I mean, I could be wrong. I mean, we're pretty early on into this tech. But, like, making half these sensors, half these screens, like, when your car's 20 years old, it's going to be hard to find a. Oh, I need to get that digital screen that was for my HVAC. Yeah. Like, I don't think there's going to be people out here rebuilding these screens. It's just, no, they're just going to buy another car. car. It's just going to fall apart.
0: Yeah, they're going to send it to the junkyard, right? Attrition will kick in, buy another car. That's why I think E39s are going to outlast the the, M, the the 5 Series that came after it. Right with the um like the M5 that had the V10 right people talk about that car like it's gonna be a next classic because it had a V10 kind of like had a V8 in the M3, um but no man I think the pinnacle was sweet spot right around the turn of the millennium mm-hmm. 2000 2000 to maybe let's say 2005 right like that E46 with that with um, the S54 iconic
1: engine and and i'll agree to that just because of the fact that i feel like if i'm not mistaken like that generation the next generation five series and like started with a three series like they'll start getting iDrive too which is not something that seems to be holding up that well those screens aren't holding up that well uh the tech isn't holding up that well um yeah yeah, Yeah. because that because obviously you know being european and being luxury cars they were kind of the first to start adopting new technology
0: yeah so here's a few other um Examples that I want to talk about cars you still see all over the road today. Okay. GMT 800. Yes, of course, GMT 800. We know that, right? You see the Taos, you see the Escalades, you're seeing Yukons everywhere, right? Um, Ford Ranger.
1: Oh, everywhere.
0: 95 to what was it, the second gen Ford Ranger? The Ford Explorer, second gen, right? That car, like with the 2.3, it was the Lima 2.3, yeah, the Cologne 4.0. Um, three point oh, the three point oh Vulcan. All right, but that car. I mean, like people want to hate on Ford, but you still see him everywhere. That was my first car, two thousand Explorer, and every time I see one, I know because like I, I'm attracted to it because it's my first car. I see him everywhere. Yeah, everywhere. Like, like more so than the third gen for uh, Explorers. Oh, it's 100%. crazy. Well,
1: I see, I see quite a few Explorers. I mean, the Explorers. You do see a lot of them, and. In- because the third gen had pretty similar everything to the one before it too, and those ones hold up pretty well.
0: Yeah, but it was more um, like transmission things like that. I think where the, the Achilles heel. E- either way, I I know I'm attracted. Maybe I'm more attracted to the second gen. That's why I, I, I think see them more because I see but, a lot of the third. But gens. I'm also attracted to the third gen because my parents still own it, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I was driving my mom's O2 for forever, and that thing has over three hundred well, close to three hundred thousand miles on it.
1: I always liked that third gen, like the Eddie Bauer edition that had the V8. Yeah, I used to really want one of those. Or like, they had a Mercury model that was like the super luxurious. Yeah, there was like a luxury. Yeah, but you're, model. you're
0: you're you might be getting confused with the second gen because they also had a V eight.
1: No, I'm I'm definitely thinking yeah. the third
0: gen. I'm pretty sure they had, they put a V eight in the in the second gen as well.
1: They did. They had a five liter. Yeah. Yeah,
0: five liter. Yeah. So either way, regardless, it that second gen came out in I think 03. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, third gen came out in 03. Right, or 02. No, 02. Yeah. That's right, 02, because my, my the year my mom had, the first year.
1: Still the same time period,
0: though. Yeah, same time period. I'm just more attracted to the more, because um, they didn't have a third row yet. I don't mm-hmm. believe in the second gen. The third the third gen got a little longer. I don't think the third um,
1: gen had a third row either, though. Did it did. It? Really? My mom says a
0: third row. I yeah, it was one that. of those little pop-up third rows that you just pull up, mm-hmm. you know. But anyway, um, cars you still see on the roads today that are going to outlast its successors. Chevy Blazers. Yep. Uh, S10s mm, I, You don't see a lot of S10s for
1: some reason I don't know why I, haven't, I don't see a lot of S10s Even though I know those had a 4.3 Which is a super bulletproof motor 4L60 super bulletproof trans Well belt. keep an eye
0: out Because you'd be surprised Maybe,
1: maybe I'll see them if I look
0: Alright um, So here's something that I think is a common denominator With a lot of cars from back then Cast iron blocks mm-hmm. Okay Right I mentioned aluminum right With body construction yeah. But even with the engine Cast iron blocks. I mean, the LS was a cast iron block, right? Was it, was it aluminum pistons? Or? I know
1: there was something different because I know I, I'm, I'm gonna like lose some of my GM guru in respect here. But if I'm not mistaken, that was the difference between the LS and the LT. Was one had more iron construction and one had more aluminum? I might be off on that, but um, yeah, I know I'm pretty sure the LSs were were well, the iron blocks.
0: I'm pretty sure. I wouldn't have brought it up if I, if I didn't think it was, GM Guru. I don't, I don't provide false information on my podcast. But here's another one while you look that up. The 4G63, cast iron block. That Mitsubishi engine that's in the Evo, right, in, in Evo Mike's car, um, had a cast iron block. I mean, that's why everyone loves that car because you can tune it. You can actually bring it to its limits. What, what do you got? What did you find? So
1: there's both aluminum and iron block Ls's.
0: OK. Well, I'm telling you, I know the LSQ that was in my Escalade. My 03 Escalade was an iron block. And the LSQ okay, so, yeah, was, uh, even I think the, f- the heads were a little uh, curved, so you can get a little bit more compression.
1: Even the 53 was cast in aluminum for car applications and iron for most truck applications. So that's all. That's kind of what I'm, I was pretty sure. I, that's why I thought. that The truck applications the heavier duty had iron block. And then the, like car applications, like the LS2, the yeah. LS3, maybe were iron, uh, aluminum blocks.
0: Yeah. Well, they started transitioning into aluminum. You yeah. know, I mean, that's kind of like. But I think like, the LS1 was iron block, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, what I'm trying to say is, it started to get away from cast iron blocks. But if you if if you look back, uh, that's a common denominator in a lot of these engines. Um, cast iron blocks are just more reliable, yeah. right? And they're not. They're heavy. They're heavy as 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 F, right? Heavy AF, but Definitely more, more durable.
1: Yeah, no, 100%. All
0: right, so moving on, um, I do want to talk about feature of the week, okay? okay? I'm going to let you go first, but then my feature of the week, I actually have two, all right? I'm going to make you guess it with hints, okay? okay? So I'm going to give you four hints, and I'm hoping it doesn't take all four hints for you to guess it. All right, because you're the GM guru, oh, and GM. none of my features of the week are GM this this week. Oh, okay, <laughs> so
1: why did you even bring that up? <laughs> because okay. I want you to we'll kind
0: of—I don't want you to just be a GM guru. You know, I want—I no. want the audience to see you as a broad, you know, I do car need. enthusiast. I know you, you, know are. I there I know you are. I know you are. I know you are. I know you are. I just
1: like buying old GMs. I don't want to. Like just like everything. Though. I don't want
0: to narrowly place you in this little box that's just General Motors, okay? Because you have a breadth of knowledge. Um,
1: so,
0: so go ahead. What's your right, feature of the week? And My by the way, of the feature week, of the week means the car that we think is going to go up in value very soon. Two
1: thousand four to two thousand six Pontiac GTL.
0: Of course, General Motors. Okay. I they thought about this. Quite that, quite they a only bit. made them for three years. Two years. Two years. Oh four
1: oh five. Oh so three years. Yeah. Oh four oh five oh six.
0: Yeah, I agree with you on that.
1: I just, especially if you can find them with a six L and a stick, because they came with the five seven and the six L. Right. And I mean, either mother is fine. They're, It's still
0: a cool car. They didn't sell. Line. I remember the hype around it. And just why were people disappointed then?
1: I don't know. I don't know what happened. I mean, kind of, I, I don't, I, this before I kind of paid close attention to cars. I just knew I liked cars. So I didn't know the marketing. I didn't know the buying and selling of them. But I mean, I think it's probably the same thing they did with the Chevy SS. Just poor marketing. They, they. I, I, I mean, yeah. Or, or people just or car enthusiasts just don't put their money where their mouth is I don't know what the honest answer is because if you think about it like it seems like I remember for years car enthusiasts just like oh bring the holding Commodore over which is what yeah. turned into the Chevy SS oh a stick shift LS sedan will be the coolest thing ever and then they come over here and nobody buys them yeah and I think I think it's for two reasons. A, I do think Chevy's marketing sucked. They really didn't push that car hard. Like, if you remember when the Camaro came out, dude, they put in Transformers, which blew it up. Right. And and it the, the, the Camaro, and they had a V6, a V8, they had cheap models, expensive models. So, like, those, just, and also the Camaro nameplate. So, those got, those went pretty crazy. But, like, yeah. the SS, they didn't do, like, hardly any marketing on. They just, like, oh, yeah, we brought it over. Cool. You guys should buy it now. And also, I think... Car enthusiasts kind of were waiting for them to get cheaper. I think they're like, oh, well, I'll wait till they get second hand and have 30, 40,000 miles and save a grip and get the car I want. And it's like, OK, well, that's why they don't produce these cars, because nobody buys them when they do.
0: Yeah. So then the GTO was what years again? 2004 to 2006. And did that bleed into the G6? Was the G6 like the baby GTO?
1: No, the G6 was also, if I'm not mistaken, the G6 was also an Australian car.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: And the G or G8? You think of the G8?
0: Is it G8? Okay.
1: G6 was that like front wheel drive kind of rounded looking one? Yeah,
0: my bad, my bad. G8, you're right.
1: And then, uh, and then also there's another car that like didn't really get a lot of attention. And in that one they actually had like a base model the V6, and they yeah. had the V8 GXP and or GT whatever the trim was on that. Um, that being said, I don't know. Did those ever come in stick? I think they did. I'm not
0: sure. I'm not sure.
1: I can't remember. I know they have the six L. That yeah. was another cool car, but even then, those and I think those will go up in value too. But we're today we're talking about oh, trying to talk about '05 and earlier, so I didn't want to go for the G8 too because I felt like that was just just outside that realm.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to pull up the GTO here on Classic.com, because their <clears throat> first generation was like '60s, right, mid '60s, yeah. um, and then they had the second gen. They had the Judge, right?
1: <sighs> yeah,
0: the Judge. I remember seeing that on. Um, My uncle I had it. I think it was judge. Jerry Seinfeld riding in cars, getting coffee with comedians. Um, it's a gorgeous car. Yeah, I'm trying to pull it up. I don't know why the, the first generation isn't, or the, the latest generation isn't coming up on Classic. Um, but either way, like, I remember seeing that car and thinking, like, fail, like, another fail, you know, because just I didn't see him that much, like, on the roads, right, back then. So when it first came out, I remember the hype, but I just don't remember it being, like, critically acclaimed, you know, like, it wasn't the everyone's got to go out and get that car you know what i mean so i'm curious to know why it didn't succeed
1: well i feel like one of the reasons is it's not track focused it's not super performance oriented like now we think it is because it's a stick shift big v8 but like back then like that's when the m5 was out that's when the you know the c55 or yeah c55 amgs and e55 amgs and like I feel like it kind of goes back to what I said earlier where car reviewers are so focused on performance and cornering that it's like they can't even and, and all these like track focused yeah things on a car that they can't even like for the longest time I remember reading reviews and it's like they can't even acknowledge when a car has cool traits because it doesn't fit what their ideal version of a performance car is. Yeah. And so they would kind of – and then also I feel like because of that mentality, they would, like, harp on, like, things on cars. They'd be like, oh, well, it has so much plastic in the interior. And it's like, oh, yeah, it's a cheap car. Yeah. Like, it's not – it's thirty grand cheaper than your comparable European car.
0: Yeah. I mean, didn't this kind of come out around that time period when, like, Mustang brought back their retro-looking uh, yeah. Ford Ford, yeah, the Mustang 05? In 05? Right. So it was kind of like that era when they wanted to kind of harken back to the, the old days with the design. Mm. Um, but I don't know. I feel like this kind of looks like a beefy Grand dam.
1: Yeah, it did. It didn't look very special and it did not have a lot of classic traits, which could have not helped its uh, approval ratings. either. Yeah. But I always thought it was a sharp looking car. And they I mean, they have the powertrain. They have. They had some decent options. Yeah, um, I think it's sleek looking. I love the I love the look. I like that it's like a two door big coupe. I think it's a cool looking car.
0: Yeah, it um, is. It definitely is cool looking. I mean, it's that big, you know, long muscle car with the little nostrils on the hood, right? Kind of yeah, like the old short. Trans- style trunk. It's
1: just, a- just I thought it was a really cool looking car, and I think it's yeah. one that will go up in value, especially considering Pontiac's not a thing anymore. And it's just an LS powered car. That I feel like people don't think about as often.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I don't disagree with this. I just feel like it's, um, it's got it. Like, it's got to be something special to a new enthusiast, right? So like, mm-hmm. you, for you, because you love General Motors, it's it's special. Uh, maybe for Ray, who who bought a Corvette, like you want something that's similar, but but um, you know, he said his whole family is General Motors, right? Uh, Fans. So like, yeah, it was interesting to hear that. Yeah, I didn't know that either. That his whole family was was mm-hmm. uh, big GM guys. But yeah, it's got to be. It's got to attract the attention of new enthusiasts. And I just the only thing is, I'm just not sure if it will because it didn't have a long like. Time to, you know, track, attract their attention because they might not remember it. Um, but yeah, LS2 V8, 400 horsepower, 400 torque. Well, and why I think they'll go up in value is as a
1: C5s because C5 vets have been going up in value quite a bit. Like, I think as all these other ones go up in value to where they start becoming kind of untainable, these yeah. will come in around 12 grand. It's like, oh, well, I can go get the same motor out of a Corvette, right? And that car actually has a little more trunk space and is a little more comfortable, yeah, and six speed manual or five five or six speed manual yeah all right cool like why didn't we think about these oh yeah because they barely exist and that will also make them a cool factor because they don't really exist yeah you know and i don't know if it'll go up in the next couple years but i definitely think at some point those will be worth some money especially being kind of like the gxp g8s didn't have stick and then that was the end of pontiac (laughs) like they just boop gone
0: yeah okay well i don't disagree with you there we'll see we'll keep an eye out on the pontiac gto as uh the next upcoming car, uh, car to go up in value. Um, all right. So let's get to mine. I'm going to make you guess mine. All okay. right. So I'm going to give you some hints and you're going to then tell me when, when I'm going to pause between is? every hint. All right. So, okay. you, so that way you can have time to think. All right. So the first one, and again, sweet spot era, right? 95 mm-hmm. to 2005. So my engine is naturally aspirated, but when you add turbos to it, I become a six-figure car with a different nameplate.
1: Well, with a different nameplate? Yes. Okay.
0: My engine is naturally aspirated, but when I when you add turbos to it, I become a six-figure car with th- a different nameplate. Let me know when you're ready for hint number two. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to say I'm already ready for hint number two. Okay. All right, w- let's do it. I'm um, rear-wheel drive and came in both an auto and a manual in the United States. I'm all um, rear-wheel drive and came in both the auto and manual in the U.S. Hint number three? Yeah,
1: dang. <laughs> I'm just... Because, okay. like, I'm thinking of a car, but, like, no, that doesn't even make sense. So I,
0: I don't know what I'm... I'm just not okay. being able to All right. pinpoint this. This one might, might, might give it to you. Okay. Sometimes I'm a sedan... Or let's just say this: most times I'm a sedan, but sometimes I'm a sporty hatchback. Keyword: sporty. All
1: right, so I'm naturally aspirated. <laughs> I come in auto or manual.
0: Yes. All right, we sometimes might need all, damn, hints. I'm, I'm need all four. Damn,
1: I'm going to need all four hands. We might need all. Or here, real <laughs> quick, before you give me a fourth hint, what is
0: our? Where are we from? Like you mean country? Yeah. Japan.
1: Sometimes when you add turbos, I go under a different nameplate.
0: Yes. So the engine in this car is also in another car that is six figures. When you add two turbos, is it two? Yeah, two turbos to it. Wait.
1: Sometimes. It- oh. Are- Lexus Is. Lexus IS. Yeah, there you yeah. go, Justin. it well, Hatch. That's like a wag. I guess it's the same thing. I was like, I was like confused at first because I was like, dude, that sounds like a like a Supra because like when you put a turbos on it, it's a six-figure car now. Yeah. But I was like, uh, like, and Good also job. that sp- fun job. fact: the Sport Cross never came in manual.
0: Correct. Yeah, I'm not focusing on the Sport yeah, Cross. you just said the car in general. Yeah, I get but you. but here's here's a little caveat. The manual IS300, yeah. more so than the Sport Cross. I know the Sport Cross is super cool. They didn't make that many. Um, I'm showing you the Sport Cross right now. Yeah. Um, because I mentioned that, that it wasn't once a hatchback. Yeah. But no, the manual IS300 um, with the 2JZ. Dude, such rear a wheel drive. great car. I mean, come on. And then Dude, my fourth hint was my gauge cluster looks like a face of a watch.
1: Yeah, yeah. That, that would have absolutely sealed yeah, it. But like, I, I was like, dude, first. I don't want to have to get four hints to guess this. I'm like, <laughs> I already kind of have an idea. I knew it was Japanese, but I'm like,
0: man, like... There's the GM guru, broadening in his uh, horizons.
1: I want to... I gosh, I, I actually <laughs> like those. I was actually a car I wanted for a while. But even yeah. when I was wanting one, like, it's so hard to find an unmolested six-speed car. They're always modified and have wrapped or spray-painted stuff because... Yeah. Somehow, some kid got one. Oh, that's such a cool car! This is I, an I, easy I, way to one. get
0: into the two JZ affordable price. You know, for a su- car that's in a Supra, and just a dependable
1: right? car. and Those drive great. Those mm-hmm. are great driving cars.
0: Didn't the SC three hundred Lexus also have the um, the two uh, JZ in it? It did, but I don't think it ever came in stick. No, they Wait, didn't come in stick. Those were more like GT like like kind of cruiser cars. I always like the SC
1: four hundred, the one that came with an eight. Those were kind right, of cool. that's the one you z. Yes. But this
0: car was designed to go up against the BMWs, like the, the three series. I mean it was built Japan built it for the US market to compete with BMW. That's, That's kind of before I, my time where drive. I was super
1: like into cars comparing, like as far as like them because I just liked cars again. It wasn't a super in-depth thought process. Yeah. How did they do against the BMWs back in that day? Like what would they actually like wise? pose a pretty good fight or
0: was BMW like meh, we got I've you. never read a comparison of an uh, IS and a BMW. I'm sure they did. Um, the next car I'm gonna talk about did i did read a uh was it road and track mm-hmm. i think it was road and track uh did a comparison with it um so you ready for that one yeah all right by the way guys we are here live at the garage collective in barrio logan san diego uh so any like noise you hear in the background it's just we're in a live garage slash uh warehouse with car enthusiasts um, cars coming in. You never know what's going to show up at this garage. Like I come, I'm setting up and I'm hearing this beeping sound and it's like, like loud, right? I'm like, yeah. oh, good thing we're not recording. And I'm, I look, go to look to see what's going on. And it's a trailer backing into the garage with the brand new Myers Manx dune buggy coming out the back. This thing's like a $75,000 car and they're just pulling up with the concept of it. Like, Hey, I just wanted to show you guys a new concept. You know, I mean, That's it's so awesome. Rad. You just never know what's going to show up. Oh, and it's such a
1: cool color scheme. It's like a dark green with yeah. a dark green wheel. It's a really cool look. Yeah, if you want to check it
0: out, uh, it is on the Car Exchange Podcast Instagram page. Uh, I did post it to the, to, uh, the story there. Um, all right. So let's move on to feature of the week number two. Let's see if the GM guru can guess it before all four hints.
1: Okay. I got ready? four hints for this one too. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I believe I got four hints. Let me see. One, two, three. Yep. I got four. Okay. I'm from the big three, but you wouldn't know it by my engine. All right. I'll give you the origin of the engine. It's Japanese. So I'm from the big three. You wouldn't know it by my Japanese engine.
1: Okay. I'm going to need that number two.
0: I have over 300 horsepower and over 300 pound feet of torque.
1: It's a Japanese motor in an American car in the mid 2000s.
0: I'll give you, a v- I'll tell you this it's a V6.
1: I kind of assumed. A, year, a Japanese powered V6.
0: Let me know when you're ready for hit number three.
1: <laughs> it's a big three, it's not specifically GM.
0: Correct. That I'm not going to specify. But it is big three. Well, before we started, oh, Dodge if you Stealth, remember, dude, you are money. You are money. Justin Pittner showing his breadth of knowledge.
1: I was Dodge like, Stealth I was like.
0: RT Turbo six speed. So the second gen, the first gen was a five speed. Um, it had the pop up headlights, mm-hmm. uh, and I think it was less than three hundred horsepower. Second gen, well, it wasn't really second gen. It was like ninety four. They changed it. Up the horsepower.
1: Well, you actually know how I guessed it. This is so weird because, you know, what I was about to say right before I guessed the Dodge South. I was about to say it's either a Ford or a Chevy because there's no way it's a Dodge. And like I was about (laughs) to say that. And then I was like, wait. (laughs) dodge was with mitsubishi (laughs)
0: yeah yeah no good job man good job uh i have four wheel steering and a name only a ninja could love yeah that was the hit number three (laughs) um and then the fourth one was my foreign relative is a vr4 i'm a rt yeah no Um, yeah the fourth one
1: yeah yeah but
0: you you only needed two on that one you only need two and you only need three on the is so. so that's pretty impressive um, the goal was to have Mike here and see who would guess it first, right? But obviously Mike's still on the side of the road over there. <laughs> 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 Poor
1: kid. <laughs> I feel like I would have beat him on mm, – no, nah, he might have got the IS before me. Yeah?
0: You yeah, think so? Yeah,
1: I think there's a possibility because he likes Japanese stuff. But uh, the Dodge Stealth, I feel like – I don't even think he knows what that is. He might. Yeah. But I feel like that would be slightly out of his wheelhouse.
0: Yeah, maybe. Possibly. So he's, he's, the,
1: he's a decent amount younger. He's a couple years younger than me, so he would have, like, totally missed out on the stealth.
0: Yeah, yeah, maybe. But he's he got an Evo now, so he's starting to kind of uh, widen his knowledge of um, Mitsubishi, right? So, um, all right, so we got the Pontiac GTO. Would you say 04 to 06? 06. 06, Pontiac GTO. I'm trying to look at some comps here. Um, yeah, so... Like, I'm looking at bring-a-trailer numbers right now. There's some supercharged ones or twin-turbocharged ones. Those aren't factory, though. Yeah, they, they've modified them. Yeah, because um, they never came with
1: a supercharger from okay. factory.
0: Yeah, original owner, modified 04 Pontiac GTO 6-speed, sold for 14000 most recently in December. Uh, this one, so original owner is a big plus. This one only had 21,000 miles, $14,000, and you're getting 400 uh, pound feet was of torque. The, tor- or was the turbo? One? No, this is just a, a 5.7. Oh, this is a 5.7 LS1.
1: It's modified. This it has 400, 400 stock.
0: Yeah, I was an LS2 that I looked up earlier. The 5.7 was, five seven the was an
1: LS1. Let me.
0: Okay. So then, it, so then it it, they came with the LS1. Yeah, because 400, 400. That's for, more than a, a five. Five is pretty. It's pretty intense. Yeah, okay.
1: I was about to say, the 5.7 came with three 350 horses. Actually, okay. is more than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, so so they they were always be. with an LS1?
0: No, so they had
1: a, they had a 6.02. They had both motors.
0: Oh, okay. The so early ones the LS2. got the
1: 5.7, and then the, if I'm not mistaken, they sold them side by side. Like, you could get a
0: 5.7 or a 6.0. Okay. Yeah, because I'm, I'm looking at the 6.0 LS2, and that's 400-400. Yep, the 6.0 right. is 400. Okay. Oh, so you had two options. It wasn't yeah. just... Okay.
1: And if I'm not mistaken, I think it it, intro, it was introduced with the 4 uh 4.7, 5.7, and then I think the 60 came out. I still think there are both options. I could be wrong there, but first, I feel like I've seen the same year GTO when cuz I at one point I was actually looking to buy one of these um and I was pretty sure that they came with uh what was it? Both the five seven and the six oh at the same time. It just depended on which one you got. But I could be wrong. I mean, I'm
0: looking at an O five right now with the six 0.
1: And then I'm pretty sure the O five also came with a five point seven.
0: Yeah. So thirteen thousand five hundred this sold in, in November of this of uh, twenty three with sixty one thousand miles. So that's a lot of car for 13.5. Yeah.
1: No, it that's is. It's a lot of
0: car. So so you're saying that those values will go up with time?
1: I do. Okay. I, I'm pretty firm believer that those will be in the 20s eventually, kind of same thing as the Vets are being. like. Yeah. And those are more unique than Vets. Like, as much as Vet owners like to think their car is the most special car in the world, uh, our GTO is only out for three years. The yeah. Name, and to be fair, there's also o- earlier nameplates, but way few and far between compared to Corvette. Right. GTO has been hit and miss for a while. Yeah. You know, big in the 60s. Died in the seventies. Well, yeah, died died late seventies. Wasn't around for a while. I don't even think there was like a temporary nameplate. Like you know, the Mustang, had like a couple weird models that were like front wheel. If I'm not mistaken, like front wheel drive. Or what was Ford the Ford cylinder. Probe
0: was the front wheel drive car? Well, there was didn't... like the
1: Mustang two. Like oh yeah, which wasn't that front wheel drive or was that also rear wheel drive? I just well, I know, know they were going to
0: come out with a f- front wheel drive Mustang and then they called it the Probe. Yeah. So they they didn't couldn't put the nameplate attached to front wheel drive. So I don't know if the two. Actually, it was called a Mustang.
1: It was. It was called a Mustang two. It was, like, it was such a weird... Well,
0: now you got the the Mach-E Mustang, Mustang so that's not new for Ford. Um,
1: Yeah, it was this thing.
0: So, okay. Yeah, okay. So that's older. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, No, we're
1: definitely talking older, but, like, I was kind of saying, like, I don't even think the GTO nameplate was a thing like even for like a random economy car. You know a lot of companies did that like yeah. Oh we're just gonna try to get people to buy this so we'll just call it this, but it's actually just a four cylinder shipbox. Like
0: <laughs> like what engine is that?
1: In the in the oh, garage. That?
0: We had a V eight uh SS Chevelle, was it? Yeah earlier? Yeah, yeah. This one I can't really put a finger on. Um, all right, before we wrap up, I did want to mention another thing about the sweet spot generation. So 95 to 05, um, you didn't see that much forced induction back then, right? You started, you, you saw it, right? I know like you had a lot of turbos with with Audis and Volkswagens, um, 1.8 liter displacement, right? Mm-hmm. Um, our buddy just bought that Passat, Chris, um, who'll be uh, on our show soon. He uh, purchased a Passat 1.8 liter turbo. Um, so there were turbos, right, back then in the um, early 2000s, and the 90s. Few Obviously, and far between. Yeah, but few and far between. Now turbos are everywhere, right, because the internal combustion engine um, has gone to a point where the 2.0 turbo, right, that that's like the sweet spot for the um, displacement as well as power um, where you can have the most efficient engine. Uh, 2.3 liter Eco Boost, right, I mean, great efficiency as well as horsepower and things like that over 300 or 315 if you put like um e85 in it so anyway my point is is you know turbos do create more power um but they could create more problems so that's another thing i think back then because cars were more naturally aspirated you saw more dependable vehicles um you know those powertrains were built for longevity like i said so what do you think of that with turbos do you see cars um nowadays do you see turbos being a an Achilles heel, or do you see him as something that is beneficial?
1: I think it's depends on who buys it. Um, for the reason being, I think turbo motors are fine dependability-wise, but you just have to acknowledge and understand that most turbo cars need more maintenance. They're right. more service-heavy. Like you should service your cars more regularly. And what's kind of funny is I don't know if this is on purpose or accurate, um, but like oil change intervals on cars have gotten way up from the two thousands while these cars also have a lot more going on in the motors and are a lot, under a lot more stress. Now I also know oil's gotten better with different additives and different, you know, ingredients to make it just yeah. know, last longer and have better, you know, slipperiness or there's probably a viscous or uh, better viscosity, word viscosity. Yeah. That's what I was looking for. Um, but that being said, it's like, I see turbo motors go a very long time. Or they blow up at 60,000 miles, and I think it really depends on some people that I feel like when you don't maintain your car, these turbo motors are way more susceptible to problems. Old cars, you could kind of like push it a little bit, and they didn't really get that mad, like they yeah. kind of like they have all the old Toyota engines, like there's people that put oh, yeah, I put 100,000 miles on my Corolla. I never even changed the oil because, like, there was less stress on that motor. So even though it wasn't running properly and even though it was, didn't have good viscosity, it was such a low-stress motor that, like, it could still last two, three 300,000 miles with not very great oil change history. Yeah. And if you did get great oil change history, well, now you have a Corolla with 600K, a Tundra with a million K, or a million K. Yeah, yeah, a million K, that's right. Well, man. a million miles, like which I don't see you I don't think you're going to see these turbo motors like I think they can go 300,000 miles a lot of them if you just take mm-hmm. care of them you maintenance them every 3 to 5,000 miles full synthetic like you know run the the right gas that those motors recommend like don't put 87 in a car that's tuned for 91 from factory cuz you're just going to hurt the performance you might get paying if you're being hard on that car but if you take care of them I actually think The turbocharged motors overall can be a pro, especially when it comes to efficiency. I had a Honda Civic with a 1.5 turbo with a six-speed manual, and going to, you know, doing a road trip, I was getting 45 miles per gallon, and that car had more than enough passing power. Uh, I didn't like that car overall very much, but... As far as a daily driver, just a drivable car, like man, great fuel efficiency, and you weren't lacking for power. It was mid-range power. That thing, I hated. It hated revving. Like it dropped drop on its face, like past 5,500 RPM, which kind of killed that car for me because it was a Honda that didn't have any very much, very like fun driving qualities to me. I just didn't enjoy that motor. But as far as a daily driver motor, is a great motor. Yeah. And I think turbocharge has its place. But personally, I think when it comes to enthusiast cars, I think, again, kind of what I said in the first or second episode or whatever last episode I was on. I don't think there's any replacement for displacement as far as overall driving enjoyment and engine uh, character.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, shout out to Toyota because they are still making a naturally aspirated uh, IS500. No more. It's no more ISF, right? Mm-hmm. So they're doing a naturally aspirated V8. Right, correct me if I'm wrong. That's a V8 engine,
1: it's a five liter V8, yep,
0: and they're still doing it till this day. And I, I love that car, LC500 too, like,
1: like a five that design.
0: V8. Yeah, LC500. I mean, it might be the very last naturally aspirated V8 in like a sports car. Um, I don't know if like one of the um, uh, British manufacturers are doing one, like another uh, Aston or um, or Jag, but
1: those are all turbocharged, and yeah, supercharged, though,
0: yeah, so. I mean, yeah, they usually like supercharges, right? The British turbo. No, than... all
1: the all the Aston Martin motors are just AMG motors. They're yeah. Mercedes oh, motors. Okay. They're the four-liter twin-turbo yeah. with. Uh, I think I think it's a full. If I'm not mistaken, no. I was about to say I think it's a full Mercedes powertrain, but if, I think the transmission might be a ZF unit. But okay, I, I could be wrong.
0: Well. Shout out to Toyota, and the reason why is because they're not conforming to these other automakers and saying, you know what, we need to lower our displacements, we need to use turbos. They're still making a naturally aspirated V8 and one of their most um, common cars, right, sedans um, and coupes. Well, LC is not common. They're not really selling well, but they're, they're, that car, you know, is very ahead of its time, I, I think, in just design. Uh, but either way, not only that, not only displacement, but hybrid technology, right? T- Toyota... Exactly is not conforming to EVs, right? They had the BZ48, you know, R2D2 uh, electric car, but they're not conforming to to saying, okay, well, we're gonna, you know, transition to EVs completely and like throughout our lineup. They're saying no, we're gonna have hybrids, and, and our Prime, our plug-in hybrid um, lineup is only gonna get better. And I mean, they're the pioneers of, of hybrid technology in my book.
1: And one thing I'll mention whether you want to acknowledge you know a lot of car enthusiasts don't want to acknowledge change and the fact that hybrids or EVs are on the way whether you want to you know acknowledge that or not or be happy or stoked or mad or whatever keeping hybrids around and pushing more for that realistically is what's going to keep the internal combustion engine around correct no matter how you dice it
0: yeah it's you're not you're you're gonna not see a Internal combustion engine with no electric motor attached to it.
1: And me personally, I'm a big proponent of hybrids because it's just the best of both worlds. Mm -hmm. And you don't, you know, you're not having to add to our electrical grid. You're having a lot of added efficiency, especially around town, which is where gas motors really fall short. And realistically, if you do a hybrid well, I feel like you can still build a very fun driver focused car. And one thing I've kind of thought about, I don't think anybody's really done it yet or done it well, or very, or tried super hard, like Porsche built the 918, which was a a hybrid supercar. Mm -hmm. And it still had a really cool sounding motor. And it had the the hybrid powertrain to help it with not only performance, but efficiency, which I think is a very good example of like what a hybrid can be, but also like realistically you can have a car. I feel like it's a possibility that you can have a car that's a hybrid that has like a six cylinder or an eight cylinder potentially. So it's meeting different standards for the EPA. That is realistically the main push for all this new technology and all this change. But it's a car that, you know, if I feel like it's possible, I don't know what regulations are or have to be upheld, but like to have a, maybe a V eight car still around that's hybrid. So on paper it hits these numbers, but then maybe if you put it into sport or track mode, that hybrid system's almost completely turned off. Or maybe even a stick shift hybrid can still exist and you can still have a fun driving car, but that's allowed to be sold. So because it's hitting these EPA numbers to keep these major companies from under yeah. underwater with them. And I really feel like the hybrid's what's gonna keep just any ICE cars alive, In which me personally, I'm just, I don't think EVs have any personality. And that's what kills EVs for me. Is I don't care about the performance numbers. I don't care what they do. Which I feel like there's quite a few car enthusiasts that feel the same way. Because they have no character. Even yeah. when they're trying to add noise and add sound boxes, like the Fiat 500 Abarth that's coming out. It, it there's it's just there's no mechanical imperfections to that car. Yeah. Like part of the fact that makes them mechanical is that they have imperfections. And I feel like once you lose that, these cars just lose any semblance of personality because they all have the feel same feel. And I feel like kind of the same thing with CVTs. like people don't like when CVTs fake shift. Cause it's like, okay, like it just feels weird. I feel like the same is with electric cars. Whereas like, even if they try to introduce like synthetic imperfections, like, Oh, it shifts or, Oh, it has a powertrain curve. It's like, okay, well now you're getting rid of like the main thing that makes EVs, good is because they have so much torque and they're so instantaneous so yeah it's like why why not just have hybrids
0: yeah man i mean we're in, in, in an interesting time in the automotive industry right now you know with this transition to electric vehicles um you know it's uh it's definitely something that is uh, a major topic all the time um but we'll see what happens but here's yeah. here's what i just want to leave audiences with right now um is toyota is not conforming for a reason. And Toyota is the number one selling auto manufacturer in the world, right? We're not talking about a small little niche company that's doing this.
1: And one more thing I'll add to that. Think of how conservative Toyota is. For them yeah. to take a stance yeah. like that is like, okay, maybe you should kind of look into what they're saying. Like they're not, Toyota is the farthest thing from stupid. They are, you know, think they're selling a forerunner that's like 15 years old yeah. for 45 grand. Yep. and people are buying them like hotcakes
0: yeah no of course these people are yeah. smart so. um i did want to mention the dodge delt rt twin turbo uh benchmark price on classic.com is just under 17 grand so that's a lot of car for just under, cent- and that's the average price right um it it's not um a number that's going up at the moment um i'm looking at the the data right here if you look at the line it's actually um kind of, kind of, trending, of down. trending downward right um it's red In the uh, benchmark number, but here's my take: You're getting a Dodge. You're getting a Mitsubishi 3000 GT VR4, Mm -hmm. right? I know the VR4 obviously has a different design, uh, which might, you know, be better looking than the Dodge. But the Dodge Stealth has a lot. Has the four wheel steering? It has a lot of the technology that made the VR4 famous. Um, I don't think it has active arrow, right? Because the the actual spoiler doesn't go up and down. but either way you're getting it at a because of the nameplate right you're getting it at a fraction, well, not a fraction, but cheaper. Than yeah, Cause the
1: 3000 GTs are like in the thirties, yeah. right? For like clean ones.
0: Yeah. Um, I don't have the benchmark price in front of me right now, but I can tell you for sure that, yeah, it's definitely more than, than 17,000. Yeah. Um, so, so you have basically
1: the same car for less money. If you can, if you don't mind the styling of it, just itself was not a bad looking vehicle. It's just a 3000 GT is better looking.
0: Yeah. It's better looking, especially the second gen later years where it didn't have the pop up headlights. It had the bigger wing. Um, and they made that actually from 97 to 99 um actually they call it the third gen um but yeah if you look at these the the data points are pointing upward
1: is it the 3000 gt this is the yeah. 3000
0: gt yeah and its benchmark is 38.5 yeah
1: it's, 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 so wow.
0: so it's almost double. almost 40s that's crazy yeah it's crazy so yeah no, that's Dodge literally do-
1: that's literally more than double if it's has ben- if the dodge's benchmark at 17 and this is 38 that's more than double
0: yeah, well, think of it like this. They made the 3000 GT for a longer period, right? The 3000 GT was like early 90s to late 90s, um, where the 300ZX had already been discontinued. The Dodge Stealth got discontinued. Um, I think 96 was the last year. So they made more of them. I so
1: 98 was the last year.
0: Of uh, the Dodge Stealth? Yeah. I just had it up, but um, yeah, because no. they, they did have two, like, they had the one with the non-pop-up headlights, and then they had the one with the pop-up headlights. Um, and it had a little bit more horsepower after '94, but yeah, I'm looking at it right now, '91 and '96.
1: Speaking of the Dodge Stealth, when I was just looking it up, apparently that nameplate's coming back, but for a three-row Durango replacement.
0: Oh, really? So they so they're gonna go crossover. That's what automakers are doing right now. They're going with crossovers, but, call but with them cool names. with car names. I hate that. I'm right, sorry. like the Eclipse Cross, Corolla Cross.
1: That's trash (laughs) what's the other
0: one I can't think of it's like an SUV but it was the nameplate's a sedan well the Mach-E Mustang Um, yeah and then the uh, Lexus IS I didn't mention the benchmark price on that it's hard to kind of distinguish the IS with the manual because they're not explaining or they're not going over the manual with the IS Um, but just in general like when you think of the IS like it's such a cheap rear wheel drive sedan that's reliable
1: pretty pretty good numbers for between eight and ten grand i'm assuming
0: uh fourteen thousand is the average price Yeah, that's actually more than i thought it was going to be and uh it's gradually going up if you look at the data points uh but yeah is 300 with the manual that those are so rare and um i mean such a cool car you know
1: and and then one thing i kind of want to clarify i want to i want to kind of see if we're on the same page on this like when we're talking about cars that are going up in value i'm not talking about hey buy this this is going to be a retirement plan I feel like this is more like cars that you can enjoy, drive, and potentially make Break some even money on.
0: At the very least, yeah, yeah. Like you know, when you're driving it, it's not depreciating, right? You're not worried about that. Yeah, you like know I'm you're not gonna... trying
1: to give like correct monetary advice. It's more just like, hey, these are cool cars that are enthusiast
0: inspired, or at least can be enthusiast enjoyed. Ooh, we what got some that? noise. So hey, let's let's actually wrap up with uh, with that. I think that's a great way to. Uh, End of podcast, episode five, sweet spot generation. Last question, though, real quick. Yeah. Do you agree the sweet spot generation is the pinnacle of the automotive industry? Yes or no? No explanation. Yes or no? Yes. Yes. Damn. You hit me with a yes. Okay. I like that.
1: So it was a a hard answer because I'm like, oh, I don't think about that for a while. Because it might not be the pinnacle,
0: but I think it's the best. A Gen Z car enthusiast agrees with me, agrees with the millennial. On the sweet spot generation. I like that. All right, guys. Until next time, we'll see you later on the Car Exchange Podcast. Take care. Peace out.